Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Know who Paul Harvey was. All right, just about everybody. How many of you used to listen to Paul Harvey? I remember when I was a kid and we were on long road trips and mom and dad would be playing the radio. Of course, we didn't have CD players back then. I guess we had a cassette player. In fact, I remember uh, one of dad's vehicles, we had an A-track in the car, but uh, we had um, the radio on a lot as we were traveling. And I remember hearing about the rest of the story. And I was always fascinated by that. These stories that we think that we know or things that we've heard, but there are some key facts that when we find those out, it completely changes the way that we look at the story. We've all been very familiarized with the term fake news these past number of years. And more and more people are waking up to just how fake almost all of the news is, not just mainstream news, but um, most of the even alternative quote-unquote media is also earned, owned by billionaires and uh, mega corporations. And so it's hard to know what the facts are. I remember hearing Denzel Washington talking to a reporter. Some of you may have seen that video on YouTube or on, on social media where he said that if you don't hear the news, you're uninformed, and if you do hear the news, you are misinformed. And sadly, that is very true today. Well, we're going to look at a very familiar story, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to shed some new light on this story, some light that was shed for me as I was studying uh, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum's commentary. Uh, don't, uh, don't ask me to spell that. <laughs> Actually, I think I probably could, but I'm not quite confident on that. But Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum is a Messianic Jewish scholar, and he has a commentary out on the book of Genesis. And I found it very helpful, uh, not only in this series, but um, uh, tonight in preparing this message. I'm going to refer to his commentary, uh, although I didn't bring it out with me. I don't think I need to read from it, but I'll refer to it a number of times tonight. But he shared something in the commentary that... It made me think of Paul Harvey. It made me think of the rest of the story, and it gave me a new perspective on uh, what we're going to look at tonight. And so as you turn to Genesis chapter 26, let me remind you what Solomon says in Proverbs 18, 17. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. What does that mean? It means there's two sides to every story. And if you only hear one person's side of the story... You can get a wrong opinion more often than not because none of us like to paint ourselves as the villain. None of us like to paint ourselves as the one in the wrong. And so when we tell a story, particularly if we are not filled with the spirit when we are telling the story, oftentimes we leave out maybe key details that give a different perspective, give the other person's perspective on the story and so Solomon says make sure you ask questions whenever somebody 
tells their version. Make sure that you get a second opinion. Make sure that you question to find out if what they're saying is really the whole story or whether you need to get the rest of the story. As we talk tonight about Isaac, and I know we have a number of our Awana workers who are joining us tonight, um, I debated postponing this message for a few weeks, but then I thought, well, this is such a familiar story. I, I don't think you need to have been with us for the last uh, seven weeks or eight weeks now uh, to be able to, to uh, jump on to the um, lesson tonight. But we've been talking about Isaac and looking at the life of Isaac. Isaac has grown in his faith over the decades. But even now, in the, let's just say, latter years of his life, Isaac is still living in the shadow of his famous father. He's following in his father's footsteps, but tragically, we've seen a number of times, he's also followed in his father's failures as well. Now, tonight, as we come to the end of Genesis chapter 26, he's an old man. We're going to see in the beginning of chapter 27, he's lost his eyesight. But more significantly, chapter 27 tells us that he has become nearsighted in his faith, not just his physical sight, but his spiritual sight as well. And so as we come to this passage, we're going to see a number of circumstances where men and a woman of faith have faltered in their faith. And so tonight we're going to talk about feeble faith, feeble faith. When does our faith become feeble when we don't trust completely in the Lord? We have a lip service to the Lord. We sing praises to the Lord. We bring our prayers to the Lord, but we're really not operating in faith in the Lord. We're operating in what we can see. We're operating in how we feel. We're operating in what we think we can handle. And so again, Solomon commands us by authority of the Holy Spirit who guided him to write this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is Elijah's memory verse at school this week, by the way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways, verse 6 says, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. He shall direct thy paths. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that if we are going to have a growing Christian life, if we are going to have a vibrant, victorious Christian life, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. We have to walk out of the shadows of what we cannot see in this dark, dark world and into the light of God's word, into the light of God's promises, into the light of the Holy Spirit's leading. And so tonight... Isaac, part eight, feeble faith, when God's people walk by sight, when people who have a relationship with God choose not to walk by faith and obedience, but to walk by sight in self-confidence. Now, we're going to look at a number of different things tonight, but as I said, we're going to start in chapter 26, just at the very end. Esau, verse 34 tells us, was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Bashimath, the daughter of Elon. Apparently, this was a double wedding. I don't know that necessarily it was they got married on the same day, but 
in this time period, he decided he was going to marry two different Hittite girls, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And notice verse 35, which were a grief of mind. Literally, the Hebrew here would be uh, translated or better translated bitterness of mind or bitterness of spirit. Not grief in the sense of what have I lost, but bitterness in the sense of the, the, the pain of the grief, the, uh, the, the gnawing frustration and irritation that these two women brought into the family, specifically into the, the hearts and the minds of Isaac and Rebekah. They were a grief of mind, a bitterness of mind unto Isaac and unto Rebekah. And so we set the stage, or I should say Moses sets the stage, because really this uh, little end to chapter 26 would be better seen as a prologue of chapter 27. Remember, Moses didn't write the, uh, the chapter breaks. Those were added uh, thousands of years later. And so uh, we're thankful for that because it helps us find where we're at in the text. But these verses really serve as a prologue to what happens next. And we see the blues of the bitter parents. These Hittite women that Esau chose to marry. And Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum in his commentary, Genesis, said this about this, this choice of the wives. Quote, Esau's marriages emphasized his continuing unfaithfulness to the Abrahamic covenant. What a contrast to the way that his father found his wife. Abraham, the prophet, uh, sent his trusted servant back out of the land to find his son's wife for him because he knew what would happen if he got with one of those wild Gentile women of Canaan and how it would change his heart and how it would corrupt his mind and his life. And so he prayerfully sent to find God's choice and the servant prayerfully sought God's choice. And here's Esau who is just driven by what attracts him, driven not by what God has given him in the sense that he's privileged to be the son of Isaac, to be the grandson of Abraham. And here he is, the firstborn, and he's already sold his birthright. He's already despised his birthright and sold it. And now he has pursued foreign women. And so with that as, as the backdrop, Moses wants us to recognize that as we move into chapter 27. And we look at what I'm going to call the blunder of the blind Prophet. Listen to the first four verses, what Moses writes. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old, that's um, we're going to see how old in just a second, that when he, Isaac was old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, my son. And he Esau said unto him, uh, or behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat. By the way, I'm so thankful for the savory meat that 
Elmer has given to us, that Butch has given to us, and uh, we've eaten pretty much all of that stuff as we've gotten it. Uh, So I can understand Isaac's desire to have some savory meat from the field, uh, but he's consumed with this. He's consumed with this value, this priority. Make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, in these four verses, we see three, actually four great errors, four great errors that this now blind prophet has made. And the first one that he makes, the first blunder is assuming that his death was imminent. Now, I'm not going to do all the math for you tonight, but again, I would just point you to Dr. Fruchtenbaum's commentary where he does the math and he shows the verses. When you compare the scriptures with the scriptures and you do the math that's given to us throughout the book of Genesis, here's what we discover. Isaac was 100 years old at the end of chapter 26 when Esau got married. And Esau was 40 years old when he got married. That's the exact same age that Isaac was when God brought Rebekah into his life. Now here in chapter 27, 37 years have passed. He is 137 years old. He is an old, old man. We know that from comparing the when we do all the math of, of how old was he when he died and how old was Isaac when, when, he, uh, when he died and how old was Jacob uh, when he went down to Egypt, etc., etc. When we do all the math, we, he's 137 years old. But here's, here's what you need to know. He's not going to die until he's 180. So uh, 180 minus 137, he has another four decades plus that he's going to live. So why does he assume that he's going to die? Why does he assume this is it? Well, there's a couple factors. The first one Moses highlights for us, and and it's, I think, more clear in the Hebrew than it is even in the English translation. But Moses seems to imply here that his fear of death was somehow linked to his sudden loss of eyesight. In other words, something physical had happened to him. Maybe it was a sickness that he had gotten, but there was some possibly illness that had happened to him that affected his eyesight so much that he could not see. My grandmother, before she died, was legally blind and still driving, and uh, it took the doctor to take her license away from her, and, and my dad and his brother had to get the doctor to get the license because she would not stop driving. She was legally blind. I would walk into the kitchen, and across the room, and she'd be sitting at the kitchen table, and I'd say, hey, Grandma, and she wasn't sure which of the grandchildren I was, and she didn't have that many. Uh, this is Isaac. He is, he is blind, essentially. He may be able to see some light and shadows, but he has suddenly lost his sight. Now, th- there's a second factor that, again, we have to really search the scriptures to find this. And that is we find out from the previous chapter that Ishmael, his brother, who was 14 years older than him, had died 14 years earlier. Now, what does that mean? It means he is now at the age that his older brother was when he died. And so when you compare those two things, he's thinking, he's seen his brother die at this exact same age. He has now apparently had some kind of health issue that has affected his sight. He assumes 
that he's about to die. Be very careful that you don't allow circumstances to become certainties. Sometimes our circumstances convince us of certainties that are not certain. And we get so consumed with worry about this and about that when this and that may never, ever happen. I think it was, um, I don't remember who it was, but they said that 95% of the things, maybe it was Dobson, 95% of the things that we worry about never happen. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what about that other 5%? Yeah, but that other 5%, that, that other 5%. 95% of the things that we are consumed with worry for never actually happened. And so here he is making a terrible, terrible decision because he's making an assumption about something that is not going to happen for another 43 years. The second mistake that he makes is electing or choosing to bless the wicked. He is choosing, he's electing to bless the wicked. Because make no mistake, Esau is a wicked man. He is a fleshly man. He has despised the great birthright with which he was given as a direct descendant of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant which was given to Abraham and then reaffirmed with his father Isaac. And here he is, the firstborn, and he sells that because he's hungry and he's fleshly and his physical desire is, I, if I don't have that soup, I'm going to die. Not, maybe I'll just eat the food that isn't prepared yet. Maybe I'll eat some raw vegetables. No, no, no. It's got to be cooked. It's got to be prepared by an expert chef. Otherwise, I'm going to be so famished that I die. And he despises his birthright. And he, he essentially mocks his parents in choosing to marry these wicked women who are a grief and a bitterness to his parents. He's a wicked man. And yet, Isaac doesn't care because Isaac has already favored him, because Isaac favors the son that is the hunter and the man's man and the outdoorsman and the man that Isaac wished that apparently he was, the man that was more like his older brother Ishmael than he ever was. And because he's so consumed with these things that aren't really that important, certainly not as important as, as someone's heart and someone's character, he chooses to bless his favored son. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, we're not going to take the time to go there tonight, but Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, you need to understand if you want to be my disciple, you better love me more than anything, more than your parents, more than your family. I have to be number one because if you put your wife, your parents, your kids before me, you're making them an idol and that's not going to go good for either of you. That's going to go bad for them and for you. No, I, I would die for my wife, but she cannot be my God or my goddess. Okay, she can't. She, she can't bear that weight. I can't be her God. I can't bear that weight. And it would destroy our relationship if either one of us tried to make the other one more important than Jesus Christ. So we have to make sure that Jesus is number one. And sometimes it's not the... The problem isn't the spouse, right? Sometimes it's the kid. My child becomes more important. Elijah, I die for him, but he cannot be more important to me than Jesus Christ. It has to be Jesus, Gigi, Elijah, 
and then everything else. It, it can't be Elijah first and then Jesus. And where am I going to squeeze? Where am I going to squeeze God in? So he elects to bless the wicked. Number three. Here's the third thing, and this goes right along with that failure to seek and obey the Lord. He's going to make a decision that he has not prayed about. He is going to make a major decision that is going to impact his family and generations and generations to come. And he has not spent any time in prayer. Do you know why he hasn't spent any time in prayer? Because he already knows what God's going to say. And he don't want to hear it. He don't want to hear it. So when I know what God says, and I don't want to talk to him about it because I already made my choice, uh, God's going to let me sometimes have what I want, but it's not going to be good. It's not going to go well. Oh, it may feel good for a moment. It may look like it's all coming together and working out. Nope. Failure to seek and obey the Lord. When we do not pray, we become the prey. Okay? When we do not pray, we become the prey. And so this guy who wants his son to go hunting for him so he can bless him, I mean, what's that all about? Bring me a meal so I'm, I'm going to test you. He's already made his choice. It's like I'm just going to get a good meal out of him. Hey, I'm 137 years old. Do what I want. <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking here. But it's selfish and it's a failure to seek the Lord. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And let me add this one as well, guys. Failure to consult his wife. Failure to consult his wife. How do, we, how do we know that he didn't tell his wife? Well, look at the next verse. Rebecca, verse 5. Rebecca heard when Isaac, Isaac spake to Esau, his son. She overheard. He didn't go to her. He's making this major decision. This is going to be the moment when he blesses his son and he doesn't even tell his wife? Why? Same thing. You know what she's going to say. He don't want to hear it. So guys, when we don't consult our wives because we don't want to hear it, that doesn't mean, our again, our wife isn't God. And ladies, your husband's not God. It's not that we don't ever just do everything that the other person says. But God, if God brought you together, and if he didn't, there's a problem there that that needs to be addressed but regardless you're together now so that's the one right you're the one flesh now so if your wife or if your ladies your husband is not carnal and is not rebel and living in sin that's that's a different situation Re rebecca is not some carnal woman although she's going to make some bad choices she's not a carnal woman she's a god has given her the prophecy God told her when she was pregnant with these two boys, you got two sons. In fact, you got two nations in your womb, Rebecca. And the elder will serve the younger. God declared it before they were even born. And so God has chosen Jacob to be the one who is favored. And by the way, Jacob is the one that Rebecca favors. That's her failure because you should never play favorites. I know one of your kids might be uh, more like you. Or maybe it's the fact that they're less like you that makes them easier to love. Maybe they're more like what you wish you had been when you were younger. I don't know. Maybe you have more in common and that's why. It, I understand that, that sometimes one child is easier to get along with or one child can be more difficult personality-wise. But you got to love them 
with all your heart, both of them. You can't, or all three of them, or all four, however many you got. You got to love them all equally. You got to love them all uh, unconditionally if they're your kids. You can't play favorites. And that's what Isaac and Rebecca did. Both of them failed in that area. But Isaac failed to consult his wife. He foolishly tried to keep her in the dark. And guys, your, your wife's going to find out, so you might as well tell her. Right? She's going to be able to read it on your face. There's times when I would try not to tell Gigi something because I didn't want to upset her, right? But I'd be upset about something, and I think, well, I don't want to upset her. I don't want to upset her. So what does she think? She sees me upset. I'm not talking to her. She thinks, I must be mad at her. Something must be wrong. So I learned, even if it's something I don't really want to, if, if I'm grieved about it, I've got I to be honest with her. i got to tell her. She's going to think it's her if I don't. And that's just going to make things worse. Don't fail to consult your wife. So what happens next? Verse 5, Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau's son. Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it in. And Rebekah, man, now she is no spring chicken either. But she, grandma, got, grandma got some uh, skills, okay? For better and for worse. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, make me savory meat, that I might eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. Oh, I know how to, I know how to satisfy your, your father. I know what to give him. I know how to feed him. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Now, these were twins, so they did look alike, but there was one big striking difference. It wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, okay? For some of you remember back then, the twins movie. But one was really hairy and the other wasn't, Okay? So he says, what are we going to do? In verse 12, my father peradventure will feel me and I, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son he saw. She went into his closet which were with him in the house, put them upon Jacob, her younger son, and she put the skins on the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. And she is working fast. She's working fast to get this done. It's almost like maybe she already knew it was going to happen and she was listening for it and planning for it. I'm thinking. But the conspiracy of the calculating mother is a warning to us because here's the rest of the story, guys. I, for many years, had heard Jacob stole the blessing. Jacob stole the blessing. Jacob stole the blessing. The rest of the story is Jacob didn't steal the blessing. Esau was trying to steal the blessing. God had already declared, already declared over 70 years before, almost 80 years before, because these guys, by the way, are in their 70s when this happens. Now, they're going to live a lot longer, okay? But for them, they're middle age. They're, for, you know, for me, I'm middle age, right? But for them, 70s and pushing 80 was middle aged. These are grown men. God has declared 
by prophecy that Jacob is the one who will get the blessing. And not only has God favored him, but he purchased the birthright. Now, a lot of Bible commentators try to separate the birthright from the blessing, and they are different, but understand that the blessing was supposed to go with the birthright. It was supposed to go with the birthright so that the birthright would be effective. Because what was the birthright? The birthright was the responsibility. It wasn't just the inheritance. It was the responsibility to carry on the family and to take care of mom and to take care of any other family members who might still be living and might still need care for. It, the birthright was not just a blessing, it was also a burden, it was also a responsibility. And see, Esau didn't want the burden, he just wanted the blessing. He didn't want the responsibility, he just wanted the rights. And sometimes we are more like Esau than we would like to be because we come to our relationships and we, we want the, the rights, but not the responsibility. Right? We want our, our wife to uh, provide for all of our physical needs, but we don't want to provide for her emotional needs. And the wives can be the same way. They want to provide for their, they want the husband to provide for all of their emotional needs, but they don't really feel any kind of responsibility to provide for them. And, and if either of those is the case, or, and at different times in our lives, maybe we all fall into that because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. So maybe we all fall into that from time to time, but if we live like that, it, it's very destructive. It's very self-absorbed and selfish. And here is Esau. Bless me, Dad. I know I sold the birthright. I know I sold my right to be blessed. But I want that blessing. And Isaac wanted to give it to him. So this conspiracy of the calculating mother was not a conspiracy to take something from, J from Esau that did not belong to him. No, no, no. This belonged to Jacob. She's trying, but here's, here's her failure. Here's where her faith is feeble. She's trying to fix a problem in the flesh, not going to God to fix it, not relying on God to be her shield and to be her strong tower. That's the problem. Remember what happened when Sarah did that? Abraham, I can't give you this child. We got a problem here. So let me give you my handmaiden. And I will raise the child like, like it's my child, even though it will be Hagar's child. And, and what happened from that? Consequences we're still feeling today in the world. Consequences we're still feeling today. And the same thing is, is happening here. She's trying to fix it without faith. And anytime you try to fix something without faith, you're going to fail. And so, yes, she is partially successful, but we're going to see that there is a high cost that she would not have had to pay if she would have just taken this to the Lord and trusted God, if she would have gone to her husband and appealed to him. If Jacob had have gone to his father instead of just going along with his mother's plan, seeking God's intervention rather than trying to solve the problem in their own strength. And so, of course, we see the disguise, the deception of the disguised son here. Uh, we're not going to uh, unpack this tonight, but he came to his father. Verse 18 said, here am I. And he said, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I'm Esau, thy firstborn. Now again, here he is. He's lying. He is sinning. He is sinning to get what he rightfully has purchased. And more importantly, what God has sovereignly decreed over him already. 
but he's not trusting God for it. Even though God has said it, he's not trusting God. He's not declaring the promises of God. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can just tell God to do whatever we want him to do and he's going to do it. He's not a genie, right? We don't just rub the Bible and God pops out and say, what are your three wishes? That's not what I'm talking about. Well, but when God makes you a promise, you can declare that, you can claim it, you need to live by faith in it, you need to speak it, you need to affirm it to yourself and affirm it in prayer as you, as you declare the promises of God. But instead, he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm your son Esau. I've done according to thou me. I pray thee, sit, eat of my venison. Thy soul may bless me. Isaac said unto his son, how is it thou that hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord thy God. Now he's bringing God into the lie. Don't think that God, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see what, what happened. God's going to make him pay for that one. God's going to, God says, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So he is bringing God into it, and God's going to remind him of that. Eventually, he's going to get a limp that he's going to carry for the rest of his life. We'll get there, Lord willing. But Isaac says, um, okay, come eat. Come, uh, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be, because he, he knows his son Jacob is a trickster. He says, you sound like Jacob, Let me f-. but he feels him. And he's like, okay, I feel that. This guy must have been really hairy, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm hairy, but it, this guy was really hairy. Jacob went near unto Isaac. He felt him. Voice is Jacob's, but the hands are hands of Esau. And so he discerned not that his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. Uh, be- he discerned him not because of that, so he blessed him. Art thou my very son Esau? He gives him chance after chance to tell the truth. He said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison. Now, let me just, again, we're not going to unpack all this tonight, but do do you remember when um, Balaam tried to curse Israel? And he couldn't, God wouldn't let him do it. So every time he tried to curse him, he he ended up blessing him. See, that's, that's what would have happened if Isaac had, if he had just been honest. If he would just have been honest and trusted God, God's not going to let his prophet declare something contrary to what God has already declared. God's not, God would not have let that happen. So we have to trust the Lord. We have to walk by faith, not by sight. So he came near. He kissed him. Uh, verse uh, 27 he smelled the smell of his raiment, blessed him, said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, the plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Now, why is this important? Because um, there are some people who say that the Abrahamic blessing, well, that only applied to Abraham. Well, here the, the blessing of God through Isaac to Jacob applies to Jacob, not just Abraham. Blessing, you know, those who bless thee, I will bless. Those who curse thee, I will bless. I will curse, excuse me. I got to get that right, right? You bless, you bless Jacob, you're blessed. You curse Jacob, you're cursed. That's, that's on the descendants of Jacob. That's not just all of Abraham's descendants. That, that has been narrowed down. It's fulfilled to Abraham through Jacob. And by the way, Jacob has a descendant that it's narrowed down even further. And who's that descendant? 
Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Jacob. You bless him, he will bless you. You curse him, you will be cursed. Because it's all about the death and resurrection of Messiah Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you either accept that you're a sinner who needs to be forgiven, that Jesus died for your sin and rose again, and you call upon the name of the Lord to be forgiven, to be saved. You trust in him and him alone, or you reject him. You despise what he's done. And then you come under the curse of eternal death because you have rejected the one way, the one truth, the one life that the Father has provided. So the deception of the disguised son leads to the blessings of the bamboozled father. And then as we close, the determination of the defeated brother because Esau comes in and finds out what happened. In fact, Moses makes a point of telling us Verse 30, as it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out of the presence of Isaac. Now, I, I did a little drama in high school. This is, you know, exit stage left, and somebody else comes on stage right, and you're just you're trying to cut down time because you don't want a, a long gap for the audience. Well, this sort of like that's exactly what happened in real life. As soon as Jacob was out the door and the, you could, the, the tent is still fluttering as he goes out the door. Here comes Esau through the other door. Father, bless me. Let my father arise and eat of the son's venison that thou so may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? He said, I'm thy son, thy firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled very exceedingly. Who, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. See, when the New Testament says that Esau wept bitterly after he sold the birthright, it wasn't just the birthright that he was grieving. It was the blessing that went along with the birthright that he also forfeited. He tried to steal it back, but it didn't work out. There was a price to pay. And so Isaac immediately knows what happened. Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. Is he not rightly named Jacob, the one who grabs by the heel, which has now come to mean supplanter, deceiver? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he saith, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. See, now when it matters, he cares about the, the, the man of God. Now when it really matters, he wants God's attention through his prophet. The father is his prophet, is God's prophet. His father is God's prophet. Now he wants the blessing, and now it's too late. Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. We're going to see the hatred and the bitterness and the cost to Rebecca's heart that she has to pay in the weeks ahead because she tried to fix things not by faith, 
but by her own cunning and manipulation, a brother hating and wanting to kill his own brother. The first murder in human history, the murder of a brother at the hand of his brother, Cain. And now we see Cain's spirit is being imitated by the spirit of Esau. This is what happens when God's people walk by sight and not by faith. But the promise is, as Lord willing, we'll see in the weeks ahead, God is not done with Jacob. Even though Jacob has tried to fix things on his own, God's promise stands. And even when we try to fix things on our own, God's promise stands. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we're going to see how God disciplines Jacob and draws him, even in his failures, closer to God and makes him more a man of faith at the end than his father, Isaac, had ever become. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the honesty of Scripture, the insight and the correction that it offers us. God, we pray that um, whatever part of this uh, historical account is relevant to our life today, God, that your spirit would show us and apply that to each of our hearts in each of our lives, God. May we be men and women who walk not in our own strength, but by faith in the God of all strength. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.